Phil, I have a confession to make. Ooh, do confess. And to let myself off the hook, when we did our predictions for 2019 at the end of last year, I predicted Beto O'Rourke would be leading the Democratic field come the end of 2019. So my prediction still might work, but I have to say I had no idea who Pete Buttigieg was. Did you know who he was? At, in the end of 2018? At the end of last year. Absolutely not. Yeah. I'm not sure Pete Buttigieg's mom knew who he was at the end of 2018. <laughs> he has come out of nowhere, and I kind of feel like he's the new Beto O'Rourke candidate, sort of that fresh face, which I thought Beto O'Rourke was. Now Beto almost seems stale. Beto seems like the old white guy candidate, right? <laughs> and Pete Buttigieg is like the new hip old white guy. He's not old. He's my age. He's the, as, uh, you're getting up there, Phil. As Dennis the Peasant from Monty Python said, I'm not old. I'm 37. <laughs> well, today on Center Stage with Milford in Hands, we are going to talk about the Democratic field for president and specifically how they play in Wisconsin and who is best to go up against Trump in Wisconsin this fall, I'm Scott Milfred. I'm the editorial page editor for the Wisconsin State Journal. And I'm Phil Hands. I'm the political cartoonist for the Wisconsin State Journal. And we are half of the State Journal editorial board. The better looking half. So why should we care? Who wins Wisconsin in 2020? Is Wisconsin the biggest state, the most important state? It's all of the above, Phil. It's the state. We've gone Democratic every presidential election going back to Ronald Reagan until Donald Trump last election in 2016 squeaked out a victory over Hillary Clinton. And it was a pretty, it was a really close margin. Was it 40,000 votes or was it even less than that? It was just 22,748 votes out of nearly 3 million. And infamously, notoriously, I guess it depends on how you look at it, Hillary Clinton did not come to Wisconsin during the general election. No. And so a lot of people think she took it for granted. She narrowly lost. And that was one of the big reasons why Donald J. Trump became president. And so I think Democrats are certain they're not going to make the same mistake again because we've already, even though we're more than a year away out from the primary. Which is April 7th, 2020. We've already had several Democratic candidates come to Wisconsin and Madison specifically to talk to crowds and, and uh, make their presence known. We had Julian Castro. He was here April 13th, actually in Milwaukee. He is the former housing secretary for uh, Barack Obama, and he was the San Antonio mayor. I got to hear him speak once in Texas, actually in Dallas. Before that, Bernie Sanders came. So he has more executive experience than Pete Buttigieg? I believe he does, yeah. Bernie Sanders was in Madison on April 12th. We had Beto O'Rourke here on March 17th, and back in February... Amy Klobuchar came to Eau Claire. It was her very first campaign stop, I think, underlining the point that she could do well in Wisconsin and unlike Hillary Clinton was not going to ignore Wisconsin. Yeah, it's just a hop over the Mississippi from from the Twin Cities, though. Right. It was an easy commute. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many candidates, we can't talk about them all. Why don't we go in order of 
how they're doing in the polls. Joe Biden seems to be playing well in the state and nationally uh, since he announced, finally announced, that he was running for president. It's the world's worst secret that Joe Biden was running for president. He hasn't been here yet. I'm sure he will get here. And nationally, he's at 35%, up 19 percentage points over second place Bernie Sanders. That's nationally in a Quinnipiac poll. The last uh, statewide poll was it was a Zogby poll. It was before Biden was in the race, but it still had Biden in the lead at 24% to Bernie Sanders at 20%. And the last Marquette poll, which was a little bit before that. And we cite Marquette poll because poll because this is the kind of the gold standard for Wisconsin polling. It is, but it's more than a month ago. Back then, uh, Sanders and Biden were neck and neck. Sanders was actually at 32 percent to Biden's 29 percent. However, when asked who was an acceptable choice, more people said Biden was an acceptable choice than uh, Sanders. In any case, uh, what do we think of Joe Biden, former vice president, former senator, and how he will play in Wisconsin. Well, I think he'll play well in Wisconsin. I think he has that working-class, blue-collar background, or at least he pretends to have that about him, that Hillary lacked and was probably mm-hmm. one of the reasons that she lost the state of Wisconsin. So those those independents in the middle who didn't like Hillary uh, might find Joe Biden more appealing. Now, he doesn't fire up the Democratic base the same way that Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. does, but... Maybe this isn't a base election. I don't know. I, I think I think he's a I think he's a good safe choice, but he's not particularly inspirational. The knock on him rhetorically seems to be among the pundits and among a lot of Democrats is that it's going back to something that he's yeah. that he's old, that he represents an, more the Obama era. That it's going back to something. However, if we're going to go back to having a president who's dignified and a decent person and acts presidential, maybe that's not the worst thing. Now, is this Back to the Future? <laughs> He's not the guy with the crazy hair in Back to the Future. That, of course, is Bernie Sanders. That's Bernie Sanders, yeah. The mad scientist. He's also one of those that everybody knows who he is. Yeah, every, he's got high name recognition. Um, you know, Wisconsin's not the youngest state in the nation. In fact, we're getting older and grayer every year. Yeah. And Biden's got really good numbers amongst older Democrats compared to, to uh, younger Democrats. And Bernie wins the young vote. Yeah, young people like the 77-year-old more than the 76-year-old. Bernie won Wisconsin in the primary in 2016, and he won it pretty handedly. I mean— he kind of he kind of mopped the floor with Hillary Clinton. Yeah, in fact, he had almost 57% of the vote in Wisconsin compared to Hillary Clinton's 43%. The thought is that if Trump took away some of the blue collar guys that used to vote democratic, that Biden can bring a lot of them back. That's at least the conventional wisdom and conventional wisdom has been getting torn up. <laughs> <laughs> for ever since Donald Trump ran for president. Yeah, so maybe that's not the solution. <laughs> well, and if the Democrats go with Biden, they're probably going with not who's my favorite candidate. It's who do we think can beat Trump? I think Joe Biden is the most palatable to a wide demographic of, of people and independents in the state. And he's the guy that Trump's been going after the most on uh, Twitter. Sleepy Joe. <laughs> Biden got a lot of attention a week ago for saying that his strategy to fight climate change starts with beating Trump. And that's what Biden is saying on the stump. He's playing this up like he is your best chance to beat Trump. 
And maybe he is, but maybe the Democrats need to feel inspired. And maybe they need to go turn to somebody like Bernie Sanders to feel inspired. Who's kind of in second place, it seems like, right now here in Wisconsin. When he ran against Hillary Clinton, it was him versus the establishment in Hillary Clinton yeah. in a year of anti-establishment across the board. But now... Bernie Sanders has a whole army of other people on the left He's who are a, essentially going against the establishment Democratic candidate, who is Joe Biden. He's sort of the establishment candidate for the non-establishment. Yeah. And so lots of his votes are being chipped off, whether it's by Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Beto O'Rourke, Kamala Harris— Yada, Just about yada, everybody. Yada. Else, everyone else is sort of fighting to the left. You know, the, the, everyone's of everyone Biden. to left of Biden. I'm sort of shocked that I was I was watching some some uh, weekend talk shows and all the all the pundits were kind of surprised how big the the moderate Democratic mm-hmm. base is and that Biden seems to have all of their votes and he's kind of you know mm-hmm. there's this massive support for Biden. It's because well there is a big chunk of the Democratic base that is not into socialism. And there's a big chunk that really, above all else, wants to beat Donald Trump. Yeah. And there must be a lot of voters who subscribe to conventional wisdom thinking, we need this dude to go beat Trump. This race is sort of in three different tiers. There's the first tier, which is which is Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Those are the two big dogs in the race. And then there's a middle tier that includes uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Beto O'Rourke, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, and then there's a host of other candidates that really don't have a chance. And we'll have you read the whole list, Phil, at the end and speed it up so we can get this, through it. Keep yeah. this podcast to 20 some minutes. Okay. Um, we do have a clip of Bernie Sanders when he spoke in Madison. It was a chilly evening out at James Madison Park. At the end of the day, the 1% is 1%. may not be a great mathematician, but the 99% is a lot more than the 1%. So brothers and sisters, we are fighting for the future of this country. I can see his hands bouncing back and forth as he's he's talking, can't you? He's also gotten a little, he's talking about the 1% there. He is now in the 1%, which has been a little bit awkward for him, although all he did is write a book. Some of the pizzazz is maybe out of his show. I guess so, but you're also never, you've never liked Bernie. Not particularly. I don't particularly like Bernie either. So it's hard for me to say whether he's, whether I like him less now than I liked him, you know, four years ago. I think it's the same, it's the same shtick, except he's not the firebrand upstart anymore. He is the anti-establishment establishment. I just think it's weird when he calls me brother and sister. Well, that's a union thing. I know it's a union thing, but I think I just feel like it's, you know, you're my brother. That's communicating, I support unions, I support, quote unquote, working people. Yeah, but my brother is not some 74-year-old <laughs> white socialist. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, though. How does that play across Wisconsin? It played well in the Democratic primary last time. I imagine it does. And I don't think he's changed his style or what he's talking about, really. I think a lot of people who feel like they're not getting ahead, and even in this incredibly strong economy, there's still a lot of people who feel like they're not getting ahead. That resonates with them, and he's tapping into a lot of the same emotions that Trump is tapping into, that the system is rigged, that everything's unfair to you, that you are a victim, 
that I will come in and defend you. Both Trump and Bernie's That's speeches their, that goes throughout them. Yeah. They're, they're a lot closer together in terms of how they appeal to voters than Populism. They, would, they would ever like to admit. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's always somebody else's fault, your lot in life. But he certainly, despite his high-selling book that's enriched him, he definitely comes across as an ordinary person. Yeah. Trump doesn't, yet Trump relates to ordinary people. I don't think you can count Bernie out. He won last time in Wisconsin. His supporters are passionate. People say, well, he wins these caucuses, but that's different than a primary. Well, he won the Wisconsin primary, and it was an open primary. The one thing that the Marquette poll brings up is who's ex- who are the acceptable candidates. Do you think, I mean, how far did Bernie's numbers drop off? If he is the eventual nominee for the Democrats, how many people in Wisconsin are like, boy, I cannot stand Donald Trump, but Bernie Sanders is probably worse? Well, there's a lot of them. The, the Marquette poll which looked at that you got to remember what they were surveying were people who said they were democrats or they were independents that do not lean towards republicans Mm -hmm. so among that core group which would be presumably voting in a democratic primary there were 20 percent who said they would not support bernie sanders that was higher than all of the other democratic candidates that were asked about you know, the S word socialism is branded to them. And for a certain group of people, that isn't going to work. It's a dirty word. The biggest issue with Sanders is this idea of electability. You know, is he electable statewide? You know, Trump is unpopular in Wisconsin. You know, he's got he is the the separation between his approval rating and his disapproval rating is negative 13 percent. That's a pretty big gap of people who think you're doing a good job versus a poor job. Now, how many of those people in that 13 percent of voters are going to vote for somebody like Bernie Sanders come election time versus just holding their nose and voting for Trump? I think a lot of other Democratic candidates are a lot more electable. And they're a lot fresher. Speaking of fresh. Yes. The guy I didn't even know existed Pete Buttigieg. Yep, the, I think we kind of know how to say his name now. Pete Buttigieg. It's <laughs> either Edge Edge or Judge Judge or I don't know, but there, he's Pete. Mayor Pete is easier to say. From South Bend, Indiana. So a red state. My uh, wife went to college uh, near South Bend, Indiana. What a, it is the worst college town in America. <laughs> it's kind of a dump. Well, he's come out of nowhere. He would contrast a lot with Trump. Just his personality is very disarming. I mean, number one difference with him is that He's really smart, and Trump's not. <laughs> I, get, I don't know. I think Trump's pretty smart, especially at marketing, which is probably what at least half or more of this race is about. But Buttigieg is a lot younger. He's gay He's mayor. More, his husband actually went to school at, uh, in Wisconsin, UW-Eau Claire. We had a story about that on Madison.com this week. Did you know, Phil, that you can go right now to Madison.com slash subscribe now, and you can get a three-month digital subscription for just $3. You'll get the best journalism in town on all of your digital devices and you won't have to read any of those survey questions. But this is really good content you can get on Madison.com, right? I mean, these are professional journalists digging into the important stories that we need to hear about to be informed citizens. 
That's right. Nobody has more journalists than us in Madison, and nobody's covering the region and the state like we are. That's at madison.com slash subscribe now. That's what Mayor Pete would want you to do. Buttigieg, Donald Trump has tried to sort of nickname him Alfred E. Newman, who was the guy on the cover of Mad Magazine. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he turned that right around. He, he said, oh, I don't, who is that? He didn't know who the guy was. At least that's what he says, that he doesn't, he didn't know who... Alfred E. Newman was. He had to look it up. That's debatable. And he said, it must be a generational thing. But he was basically saying, I'm not from your generation, Trump. Are you Um, serious? The 37-year-old man didn't know who Alfred E. Newman was? That's what he said. He said he had to Google it. Well, he's not a cartoonist like you, pal. I grew up reading Mad Magazine. Well, we all did. Well, you're still growing up and you're still dealing with cartoons. That's right. I guess so. (laughs) I mean, you're only, you were just telling me you're you're still a kid. I'm not old. I'm 37. Mayor Pete, so he just came out with with some more policy positions. And while he's definitely to the left of of center, you know, mm-hmm. he's not Bernie Sanders radical socialism kind of guy. He's going to play himself more towards, I'm not, I'm not going to be as moderate as Biden. I'm going to, he's going to play the middle between Biden and Sanders, I think. Yeah. Which is probably where there's some room. The risk for Buttigieg is, is he going to get Walkered? And by that, I mean, when Scott Walker ran for president, remember in the Republican field, suddenly he soared to the top. He yeah. was the guy who was going to win the nomination. And then when he got the attention of a front runner on him, it became really clear that the guy knew all about Wisconsin and state government and not much at all about particularly international affairs and, for that matter, even a lot of national stuff. Well, I think— I, I mean, he just wasn't prepared for that level in terms of what he knows. And I'm not saying he's not smart. And, I mean, he could debate anybody about Wisconsin or collective bargaining. And he kept going back to the collective bargaining well over and over. But where was the knowledge on other stuff? I mean, I, I've never met Mayor Pete before, Pete Buttigieg. Mm-hmm. But it, he seems, to, at least from his you know his discussions on television, he seems to have a better concept of of world affairs than 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 Scott Walker ever did. I guess a, a little more intellectual curiosity about those issues too. Yeah, maybe so. But I'm just saying, if your day to day job is mayor, and suddenly you've got people asking you complicated questions about Syria, Joe Biden can handle those questions. Oh, I'm pretty sure Pete can, too, because the dirty secret about Pete is that he's never really been mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He's been running for president for as long as he's been mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Who's next? Who's next? Uh, Well, there's Kamala. And and we are only going to play, by the way, clips from people who have actually come to Wisconsin. Oh, so Kamala Harris doesn't— We're not giving Biden a clip. We're not giving Kamala Harris a clip. But we'll talk about him. Well, Kamala Kamala Harris, I I don't— I don't know much about her. Um, I know that I've, I've, the, the times that I've seen her interact with during some congressional hearings, I've been unimpressed with her questioning of key witnesses and that I thought there were opportunities for her to, you know, especially questioning William Barr. I was not impressed with how she went about doing that when there looked like there were some opportunities to put him in a corner. She didn't do that. I, I hear she's getting a lot of buzz. It sounds like she's good at raising money. Um, she's a woman. She, she is from California. Yeah. There's well, a lot of money in California. There's a lot of money in California. She's a woman. She's black. Um, she she checks a couple of demographic boxes that Democrats need to, to do well in. She also was the attorney general. Yeah. She's, she's clearly a smart, intelligent person yeah. who, who, who has a real track record of doing things um, like putting criminals away and running and running a justice department for a state the size of California. I think she pro- projects a toughness. When you're an attorney who's or a prosecutor who's put people away, you, you have a way of talking about things. It's a little bit, 
I don't know, precise and definite because that's how you have to do it when you're in court. But the California thing could be a liability in Wisconsin potentially. I think sometimes in Wisconsin we look at California with a certain amount of skepticism. I think there are a lot of voters throughout America that find tough women uh, unappealing. You know, that it's that, that often, I don't want to use the B word, but that can often get misconstrued with a tough woman who's self-assured and strong. There's still a lot of sexism. There's a lot of sexism in our country. And so while I think a tough woman who's an attorney general who has that sort of preciseness is really an appealing thing, there's lots of people in this country that find that the opposite. Having said that, uh, though, there's also something called the Me Too movement. And I think somebody like her particularly with the threat to Roe v. Wade that's going on right now, somebody like her, I think, could really appeal to a suburban, you know, maybe right-leaning woman. Yeah. Despite all of his grotesqueness, Donald Trump seemed to win a lot of those voters last time around. The Mm -hmm. question is, are they still going to vote for somebody like Donald Trump, or what's the alternative? And remember— we still haven't had a female president. There is still some pizzazz to that. You know, and I, I will say, speaking of uh, transitioning from Mayor Pete, and I don't want to disparage him, but I, I, I've talked to some women who are sort of like, really, America's ready for a gay president before a woman president? Like, are we, are we, are we at that point now? You know, because he's doing so well in the polls, you know, and he's, he's kind of storming ahead of all these women. And it's like, yeah. you know, is America still... Or is, is, is being gay still easier than being a woman? I don't think Pete's getting a lot of Mayor Pete's getting a lot of attention because he's gay. I think he's getting a lot of attention just because well, of his is, personality. The question is, is he getting a lot of attention because he's a white man? Is that more? Is that more accept? Is being a gay white man still easier than being a a woman? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that question either. But that's the, that was yeah. just the the point I was, and it's not my. It feels point. like kind of pitting people against each other, but but that's what politics is all about. <laughs> But speaking of more women running for office, there's Elizabeth Warren. She's next in the, in the polls uh, at 6% in this, this most recent Zogby poll. I feel like her moment kind of came and passed. Well, she's the first one to call for impeachment for Trump of all the candidates, which I think played well with the base. And, and I think chips she's been, away at Bernie. I think she's doing reasonably well as, as in that second tier of candidates. That's They're all kind of fighting for the same votes. I think she's holding her own pretty well. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what that means down the road. There's lots of time for people, lots of time left for people to have their individual moments. Um, it sounds like she's got, you know, unlike Pete Buttigieg, who's got a lot of sort of nice rhetoric and some big ideas about stuff, she's gotten down nitty-gritty of policy items and has like, this is how we're going to spend every dollar and make every program I have planned out work which for policy people is, you know, which yeah. is which is nice to see, but it doesn't exactly win you votes. She seems to me like a staunch progressive and maybe and there's a lot of people as they say in that lane of progressives. Just we just talked about Kamala Harris. I mean, Kamala Harris seems like a very different candidate than Elizabeth Warren, even though they're probably not that different politically. I mean, they're both calling for Medicare for all. Right. But in terms of style, Kamala Harris would attract a lot, a broader group of voters than Elizabeth Warren. But I'm not a big Elizabeth Warren fan. That's entirely true. And I still think as much as, you know, Trump calling her Pocahontas is just, it's silly and inappropriate, but but that's what Trump is, right? Yeah. But the whole idea that in in this age of identity politics that somebody was checking boxes about Native American heritage. Literally checking boxes. Literally checking boxes about Native American heritage when their Native American heritage was pretty 
you know, umpteenth. Who knows what I am? Who knows what, what percentage Native American I am? But I'm gonna yeah. check a box about it. Yeah. You know, you might even have a little Irish in you, Phil. My yeah. wife's always heard stories about how her great great grandmother was part Cherokee, but she doesn't yeah. go check boxes about Native American heritage just because she's heard stories about it. Yeah, and Elizabeth Warren, it also gets to the question of which Democrats have to decide is: Are you going to be? Are you going to run a negative campaign where you're fighting? Or are you going to try to be a positive, new, fresh thing? Biden came out and at least claimed that he was going to run a positive campaign. Certainly, Buttigieg is running a positive campaign. Yeah. I mean, that is why, more than anything, I think he's just fresh and positive. Elizabeth Warren never really seems that positive to me. No, no. But if you wanted somebody to really take him on in kind of a no-holds-barred way— I guess I could see the attraction of Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Do we have to talk about Beto O'Rourke? I mean, he he was the fresh thing. He was, but he's gotten stale. I don't know. Um, He's still in that second tier. You just don't hear about him. Buttigieg has taken up that oxygen. And and listening to Buttigieg speak, which is not, you know, he, he just seems a lot sharper than Beto does. He just seems like, you know, despite the fact that he's just a mayor of some podunk town in Indiana and, you know, Beto O'Rourke almost won a Senate seat in Texas with his inspirational— And has been in Congress. And been in Congress. You know, I just I just feel like it's weird, but Mayor Pete seems more prepared than Beto does to be president. Beto spoke at Cargo Coffee down on Madison's Isthmus earlier this year. Here's a clip. In these smaller communities and rural counties, where the school district very often is the largest employer and is literally the backbone of that community— that faces uh, dairy farms that are closing, rural hospitals that are closing, a quality of life that is vanishing. This is truly our make or break moment. Beto was responding to somebody who asked about rural Wisconsin. Which is a decent response. I mean, it's a little cookie yeah. cutter, but you know, you can say that any any community you want to across America, and it still works, because we all like K-12 through education. In that latest Zogby poll, Pete Buttigieg was at 10%. Kamala Harris was at seven. This is in Wisconsin. Elizabeth Warren, six. Then Beto at five. And then you start to get down to Cory Booker at four. And Amy Klobuchar, let's talk about her. The other candidate who, uh, the third candidate who has been to Wisconsin. Let's play a clip. And so I'm asking you to join our grassroots campaign so we can take back America because it is time. It is time to do something about income inequality. It is time to do something about climate change. It is time to bridge that rural-urban gap. It is time to do something about, by the way, after the tragedy and what we saw happen in Aurora, Illinois yesterday, it is time to put sensible gun legislation. I'm glad you played that clip because I had completely forgotten about that shooting in Aurora, Illinois. You forget about everything when Trump starts uh, goes on his Twitter storm. Yeah. In a normal uh, environment, Klobuchar, I think, would be a very attractive candidate in I Wisconsin. Find her, I find her very appealing. Just the, the sort of Midwest common sense, the very mm-hmm. you know, pragmatic approach to policy. She's one of the only Democrats not calling for Medicare for all and free college tuition for everyone. I mean, she's sort of mm-hmm. trying to stake out that middle ground. And maybe Biden's completely usurped her. But I've always thought that was a good fit for 2016 was having a, a, a really smart woman who's not a radical, leading the ticket. And she's civil, but again, she comes off as tough. 
she'd be a great candidate, but nobody knows who she is. Yeah, the only thing people remember about her is that she was really mean to her staff at one point. The other candidate on that, in that second tier, that four percent, who we haven't talked about, is Cory Booker, who's a senator from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think. You know, he just hasn't really gained much traction yet, uh, despite the fact he's at 4%. Yeah, I've heard some good things about him. Young African-American guy, you know, um, but I think he—and he's also not playing to the extreme far left of the party like so many other candidates are. You know, he's—but I I guess people have complained that he's cozy to Wall Street because he's in New Jersey, but— Yeah, he's a U.S. senator from New Jersey. I remember seeing years ago there's a documentary when he was uh, running for Newark mayor, mayor of and Newark, he was yeah. living in the, one of the worst um, public housing units. He's walked the walk a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he really life. has, but he just doesn't seem to be taking off. I like him a lot, though. I think he's very we seem to really, optimistic. And we, we like all the candidates that really don't have a chance. <laughs> yeah. What are we, centrists? <laughs> it must be. That is a theme, isn't it? Now, then again... They probably would have a chance, but they need to somehow get through a primary. We did skip one candidate, Phil, you forgot to mention, who's at 14%. Uh, that's somebody named Not Sure. Oh, yeah. Not Sure so has, there are, has, a, has a great shot. Yeah, so there are still a lot of Democrat-leaning or hardcore Democrats who are not sure who they're going to vote for yet. Quickly now, we should play a clip from... Julian Castro, who is the only other Democratic candidate for president so far this year that has visited Wisconsin. He was in Milwaukee. I'm not afraid of his lies, of the fear, of the paranoia that he's trying to stoke in our country. I'm not afraid of his mistruths. I'm not afraid of an issue that he believes will win him the next election. I'm not afraid of the division that he's trying to stoke in the hearts of so many people and that he's counting on to win another small electoral college victory in 2020. I'm not afraid of those things because it's time for the truth in this country. He's talking, of course, there about Donald Trump. Julian Castro is the former mayor of San Antonio. He was also in Barack Obama's cabinet. Interesting guy. I got to hear him speak in Dallas once. Impressive, but he's way down in the polls. Which is hard to believe. You'd think that a, a young, dynamic Latino politician with lots of expe- lots of executive experience, you know, you'd think he would he would be able to attract some voters. We're going to have Phil read all of the other Democratic candidates. Michael Bennett, U.S. Senator from Colorado. Steve Bullock, Governor of Montana. Bill de Blasio, a Mayor of New York City. John Delaney, U.S. Representative from Maryland. Tulsi Gabbard, U.S. Representative from Hawaii. Kristen Gillibrand, U.S. Senator from New York. Mike Gravel, U.S. Senator from Alaska. Does his voice sound like this? Something like that. John Hickenlooper, Governor of Colorado. You gotta love that name. Hickenlooper. Need more Hickenloopers, Hickenloopers in our lives. Uh, John Inslee, Governor of Washington. Wayne Massam, Mayor of Miramar, Florida. Seth Moulton, U.S. Representative from Massachusetts. Uh, Tim Ryan, U.S. Representative from Ohio. Not to be confused with Paul. Nope. Uh, Eric Swalwell, U.S. Representative from California. Marianne Williamson, author, lecturer, and activist. Wow, multi-talented. And Andrew Yang, entrepreneur, philanthropist, and founder of Venture for America. All right, Phil, take it easy. Catch your breath. It's a mouthful. All of the music on our podcast is by Tube Tester.